Okay, today we're going to finish our overview of the teachings of the Ramchal on prophecy. And we'll start where we picked off last week, where the Ramchal says that there are many, many different degrees to prophecy. And one, in a sense, deserves the title of prophet when he's attained full prophecy. He says, nonetheless, even someone, and we're talking about in ancient times, even someone who was in the beginning stages of prophecy, even he would be called a prophet. And that we have many examples, like we mentioned last week, what are called the B'nai Nevi'im, the children of the Nevi'im, or really, they were the students. But they were also called Nevi'im. They were also called prophets. And we have the case, uh, a couple of cases in the book of Shmuel, where Shaul uh, runs into bands of prophets. And it says and they played music and they began to prophesy. Now this doesn't mean that that prophecy was on the highest level. But... They, they were prophesying. Remember what we learned. Prophesying is simply a, a deep spiritual experience of, of being uh, close to God, clinging to God, feeling one with God. So but then he says that part of the problem is that when a prophet is learning in the learning stages, there are many things that can trip him up. There are many types of experiences that may seem very real and very holy that may not be coming from a holy place. And he explains that's because that is the way that God has made the world. That he has allowed uh, the possibility of evil, negativity, uh, a measure for a measure, and so therefore, when we start reaching higher and higher levels of consciousness, there are possibilities of getting tripped up. So he said that's why it's so important for a, a prophet in training to be under the guidance of an experienced prophet. And then he explains... Uh, and he goes into some length about it, and I'm not going to go into as much length, but he brings many, many different examples from the Tanakh about false prophets. And we already learned that in the Torah itself, in, in Bamidbar, in the book of Numbers, it always says that in the future there will be false prophets, and you need to be very careful. And there it explains that God is testing you. So one story that he brings at some length is that when King Ahab, who was considered a very evil king, Ahab and uh, Jezebel, uh, and they in fact killed almost all the prophets. Until, to the point that uh, Eliyahu complained to God and said they've killed all the prophets and only I am left 
Why? Is because they were the prophets were prophesying things that the king and queen didn't want to hear, and so he just simply killed them. Which, as we as we go further in this subject, we'll have to deal with the way Israel related to the prophets that we haven't touched on yet. But he brings an interesting case where it says that, that God had decided that enough of Achav that I mean there's free choice in the world but everything has its limits and God decides he has to get rid of Achav and for reasons we don't understand exactly he, he wants to uh, sed- in a sense seduce Achav into battle and he will be killed in battle so Ahab <coughs> excuse me, is, is deciding whether he should go into battle. So he's given advice uh, to ask the prophets. The, the way that God did it is by having these prophets prophesy to him that he would be successful. No, you needed to hit it. Yeah. In other words, he didn't, he, he didn't want to go into battle if he thought he was going to lose. Okay. He must have had a certain amount of respect for the prophets, so he wouldn't ask them in the first place. But he was the kind of person that if he doesn't like what he heard, like off of your head. But here they tell him to go into, into war. And the Ramchal explains that... Uh, they were, they were purposely deceiving the king. They actually knew better. And they also knew that this is what God wanted. So they, in a sense, pretended as if they were prophesying. They went through, apparently, they went into uh, trances and all these things as if they were uh, receiving prophecy. Is this kind of like Shalom Bayes, where you can sin? Well, well, this is a case where they were they were attached to God's higher ratzon here, which was that he should be enticed into battle. But what happened is that one of the prophets was a true prophet, but he got so caught up in this whole kind of show that he also prophesied that he would be successful. And the Ramchal is pointing out this whole story to, to explain to us from an actual story in the Tanakh how even a true prophet can be tricked, in a sense, by his... Uh, Maker. <laughs> n- yeah, n- not being completely uh, in a clarified state of consciousness at that moment. Wasn't that like different sort of... Dynamic, like different things that can happen that things could be also there and also that way. Right, yeah. So that's what we learned last week is that sometimes the prophet gets a prophecy like Yonah, that Nineveh will be overturned. But there's two different uh, explanations of what that could mean. And so therefore, even if a prophet is on the high enough level to hear or receive a prophecy, it still, as you mentioned, it still is left to the prophet to interpret according to a certain level of intellect or a pure state of imagination what the real message is. 
So that's what he's pointing out here. He's pointing out that this is tricky business. This is really tricky business. And he brings in the uh, the priests of Baal, for example. Remember when Eliyahu invites them to this contest, contest of the gods. Right. But the people, most of the people were following Baal because these priests they had tremendous spiritual powers and the Torah says itself that they can produce miracles and wonders and, and signs so it's still as much as we've talked about it, it's still a little bit hard to understand how someone who's clinging to evil merits these things but see through the forces of nature a person can assume very, very powerful uh, means of manipulating and tampering with energy and um, people's minds. It's all, it's all. Uh, there's a lot of gray area here, and the Rambam spends a lot of time explaining this, explaining how how does it. How does it happen? So he says like this. Why, why would the Ramkal assume that, that the prophets were, were tricked? How come he wouldn't assume that, that the prophecy that they received was to deceive the king? Let me, let me read you his words. He said, All these false prophets were prophesying in Ahab's presence. This means they were exerting themselves and doing things that normally would bring about a prophetic revelation. The vision that they were seeking, however, was nothing more than the evil revelation mentioned earlier. They were deceiving the king, however, and making him think that they were actually trying to attain revelation from God. They did this in the king's presence in order to convince him all the more. The account thus says, and all the prophets were prophesying before him. And they said to him, go up to remote Gilad and you will be successful. And God will deliver it into the king's hands. These were the words that the Spirit had spoken through their lips. The false prophets themselves, however, were not misled since they knew that they were not fitting for the truth. False prophets were not misled. Right. In other words, they were very aware that they were false prophets. And he explains, he explains that a person, without having sought to do so, can experience a false vision. Or even though he may have been seeking the precise opposite, namely true prophecy, he may be exposed to this evil as a result of his lack of perfection and proper effort. So in other words, someone who thinks they're on the level of prophecy and maybe on a conscious level wants to be a true prophet. But they, let's say, are full of uh, uh, bad meat out. They're full of uh, unrectified uh, character. So in all of their efforts, what they're going to end up is... Uh, contacting what's called the dark side what has been known as the dark side that's what he says in many cases however 
an evil person may actually desire to communicate with these evil forces and strive to attain such false prophecy. Now this is someone like Bilaam. This is someone like Bilaam. No, he doesn't use Sitra Akhra. Kohotatuma. Impure, impure forces. In other words, there's tremendous power that people who do not have rectified characters when enticed by knowing that they can use this power will use it. Now there's, let's, uh, let's give an example of something that maybe we can understand. Because it seems nebulous. But let's say, um, and I'm not like picking on a certain religion, but in the last 20 years there have been many many cases of very, very famous uh, 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 Christian, uh, I'm not sure what to call them, uh, you know, Sunday morning evangelists evangelist who have followers in the millions. Mm-hmm. And if you watch them, they are incredibly charismatic. Mm-hmm. They are, you can see that they are powerful beings. And in the last 10-15 years, there have been case after case of scandals, uh, monetarily and sexually, mostly in those in those areas. Right. So, so here, here you, here's an example that we can understand. Trying to latch onto something from 3,000 years ago is, is a little bit harder. But here we can see that people who are very aware of the power that they have over other people. Mm-hmm. And many of them are not using them for good purposes. So this, this is, here's an example. You might even say that they, they started off meaning well. Mm-hmm. You, and it probably, it's probably true. But some things happen along the way. What's the expression? Power corrupts. Mm-hmm. Absolute power absolutely corrupts. Mm-hmm. Is this this human? I mean, with all due respect, look at our Knesset. How, in, in the last five years, how many people in positions of power have had legal cases against them for all kinds of things, the full gamut of of things? So you put someone who has let's give everyone a very good intentions. You put him in a place of power, the, the temptations are tremendous. The temptations are tremendous. And that's what he's trying to say here. Really, if we read between the lines, that's, that's what's happening here. And then, and then people, then people get like, caught up. Right? Not, not like in America, there's this whole thing of, of steroids. Right? You have people who are like, you know, the best of, of athletes. But the, the temptation to be a little bit better, right? Break one more record. Now there's a huge scandal. All these people who set all these records and were, you know, idolized by the youth of America. It turns out that, you know, and they probably, you know, it's meant well to be a good example, but power corrupts. I was going to ask if in the Jewish religious world, like in the yeshivot, etc., etc., if there are students who are encouraged to take this path, develop 
their uh, skills of prophecy? Right or now, anything no. like that. Right now, I don't think there's anything on a, an organized level. Mm-hmm. I think between cer- certain teachers of Kabbalah and their students, um, there are certain uh, traditions that are, are handed on. I think, That's yeah. for sure. I mean, I think when people are a little careful because um, they want them in the like they want them to be able to follow a path and without um, getting to somewhere that might be too. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, like, uh, um, I think it might connect. Sorry to. It sounds so uh, discombobulated, but I think it connects to what you said about having to have a really good novice to guide you. Mm-hmm. That because there aren't open people who could do that, unless people are following the lever, I think that mm-hmm. might be what following the lever is. Mm-hmm. That the people don't have the guidance um, in order to do that. Teachers today in the issue both and that are not connected to right. the guiding Right. 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 I mean, there is, uh, and at at some point we will probably get into this but the two the two figures that I'm thinking of in the last thousand years uh, one was Rabbi Avram Abelafia which at some point we should get into because he was into teaching these these methods and skills and he was very controversial because of that and the other person who did it in a more was he doing it precisely to train prophets? Oh. No. Not, not, no, not, I, no, not train prophecy, but to teach people how to reach prophetic experiences. Mm-hmm. That's a very, very important uh, difference. But even still, he was controversial. Uh, the other one was really the Arizal. Not that he did it consciously, but the types of yeah. methods that he was teaching. Uh, and if they were followed and practiced, would lead to prophetic experience. The Baal Shem Tov? No, I don't think. No. He was more speaking to the masses. He was. He was not, in a sense, training a small group of people to reach prophetic experiences. So they like to that's a that's a concept that goes back to the Gemara. It's not his, him exclusively. But the question is: Is what was he training them for prophetic experience? I, I don't. I wouldn't say per se. I mean, there is a, a touch of that. A t- the way he reintroduced uh, deep uh, kavana and and. Song and in meditation, yes, but the question is, is it in a conscious way? See, Abram Abulafi was very conscious that that's what he was doing. But that will that that will get to, yeah. So we're taught that dreams are one sixtieth of prophecy, and we all have glimmers of intuition or imagination or things that that bring us to knowledge um, in other in ways that we haven't necessarily really been trained. Um, and we don't know how to verify that experience until something verifies it for it for us in our lives. 
And I think those are the ears that I'm using to hear what this teaching is about. I mean, I can't quite wrap my brain around training prophets because we don't have prophets anymore. But that every day-to-day nuances of my own spiritual life and those of, of my family and people I know and people around us and the fact that we're living out the, the prophecies uh, just by being here in the Heritage of Israel it like colors mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean now that you mention that and I can mention like this is like an interjection what, what should we be getting from these teachings we're four or five classes into this series other than the fact that uh, we have a very very strong prophetic tradition in Judaism uh, a good part of the Tanakh is speaking about prophets and the words of the prophets so just in that alone it's, it's important to understand what are we talking about who were these people how, how did they reach prophecy how, did, how were they chosen why were they chosen um, and what was the nature of their prophecy that in itself I would say is, is level one of the purpose of this learning here if we haven't stated it uh, outright in such a clear way it's a good time to, to say it if you remember the four that entered into the Pardes and these were great and, and pure and sincere individuals but they, but they reached that very very high place which they spent their whole life to get to so we see what happened one went crazy one died one became a heretic and only Rabbi Akiva went in in peace and came out in peace and they all had like had perfectly the, the best of intentions that's what he's trying to say here is it's like when you start getting to certain high places it's like there's no guarantees it's just like you're dealing with very strong energy and it's just easy to get tripped up it's easy to trip up I, I, I want to bring one example that everyone knows but it's a, it's a good example of when the astrologers or the magicians as they were called in the Torah so they remember they came to Paro and they said a redeemer is, is going to be born imminently to the Jews and we see through their astrology remember by being connected to the natural world they, they saw they were able to see things and, and it, was for, it was for real and to this day people can see things in astrology and they said, and he will be judged by water. So Paro said, okay, so let's drown all the boys. And that's why they drowned all the boys, was on that advice. Because they saw, and they were correct, they saw the Redeemer was being born right then. And, and so Rashi points out, they also saw correctly that he would be judged through water. But what was it when he hit the rock to bring forth water instead of speaking to it and therefore he couldn't go into Eretz Israel. Well. So, I'm sorry? Whoever speaks against using against now using um, any form of astrology talk in the future. No, the, not, not just the rabbi though, the Torah, the halacha itself is you can use astrology 
for most purposes other than um, not just predicting the future but acting according to it. In other words, for character development it's actually considered legitimate. There is a, there is a, um, a prophetic sense there. And it's coming to the natural world. So this is a very good example of how people can get in touch with very, very prophetic powers through what we consider not completely legitimate. It's, it's like partly legitimate. But once you start saying well, you can't go on a trip because Mars is here and you shouldn't marry this person because you have your moon in Cancer and they have their moon in... So we're told um, when, when it's like, to predict the future, we can't do that because that limits our free will. That limits our free will. Okay, let's go back. And actually, when I said I was going to address about the imagination a few minutes, like... I got sidetracked, but this this is it now. Okay, so I can actually read this because it's so so precise and, and, and full of content. So he says like this It is also necessary to realize that there are two distinct aspects of prophecy, namely its content and its wording. A prophetic concept may not be circumcised by words, and in such a case, the prophet will express it in any way he wishes. What's the example here? The prophet has a revelation, but the revelation is not coming in words. He's not hearing a message, he's not hearing a word, he's, it's like thoughts are. Yeah, it's like thoughts are maybe floating through his head. He's coming to a realization. And then, once he comes back to his senses, he then translates it any way that he wants. Any way that he wants. And some of the most important prophecies came this way. God did not say, say this or say that or say that. God revealed something that it's, it's like so elusive it's beyond words but what makes a prophet a prophet he's been able to translate that experience and he understands remember Raphael said that when a person gets a prophecy he knows 100% is from God and he knows that it's, that it's real so then he says it any way he wishes now we'll go on some prophets however perceive a concept that is also circumcised by words. This is true of the prophecies of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and the other prophets who were given a message for future generations, who include Ezekiel and really the, the twelve minor prophets also. But listen to this. In cases such as these, the prophecy was revealed with a precise wording, and these words simultaneously included a large number of concepts. So in other words, in their revelation, their vision, they hear God speaking to them. Very specific words. And along with the words, it, they, they understand that they encompass 
huge concepts that go with it. It could be like one sentence. But since the sentence is so symbolic, they understand that it's like has all these implications and ramifications. Now listen to this song. This is in a case where God speaks specific words to the prophet. So he goes and he says, even in such cases, however, the phraseology depends on the particular prophet's own preparation and way of life. And here I would put in the, the word imagination as well. It can also vary according to the prophet's language style and manner of speech. So, what we can learn from this is something very important. When the prophet says, Ko Amar Hashem, thus God has spoken, and then they'll say X, it does not mean exactly that God said those words to them. Why? Because we learned already that all the prophets are different than Moshe. And I don't think we've learned this, but we'll learn it now. That what's given over is all the prophets prophesied in the language of Ko Amar Hashem, which we translate as thus God says. But the word Ko, when you put a, a chaf before a word, it means like, ke, similar to. So when they said Ko Amarsha, why? Because remember, they were receiving the prophecy through a unclear lens. And so therefore, the language, now it could be that sometimes when they said Ko Amarsha, that's exactly what they heard from God and, and they recorded it exactly. But it, it's not necessarily. Not necessarily. But that doesn't make it less potent. Because if you read between the lines here, what is being said is God, if he's already revealing this type of pure prophecy, then he trusts his prophet to give it over according to their unique being. That's what he says, each prophet, according to the prophet's language style and manner of speech, that's an incredible idea with Moshe we're told that he said this is the matter that God has commanded and they say means exactly so in the Torah it's, Moshe is the, uh, the, the scribe Mm-hmm. the automatic writer and it says only Moshe was on that level yeah 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 in other words yeah it was like a vote of confidence in the prophets God is saying here's my message give it over in the way you think will be best received I mean that's that's a way of putting it, yeah. That's a, that's a way of putting it. So then, we we mentioned this last time, and I looked it up. This is a fascinating idea. He goes on and he says, in many cases, prophets are instructed to perform a certain act in conjunction with their prophecy. 
The prophet Jeremiah was thus instructed to wear a linen belt and in another instance to place a yoke around his neck. So I looked up these two incidences and if you want to write this down and look it up it's uh, in Jeremiah 13 right in the beginning uh, of the chapter. So it's an amazing story. God Yirmiyahu is, is relating this. He says, Ko Amar Hashem Eli. Thus God said to me. Now he's relating the story of what happened to him. So he says like this, God came to him and said, Go uh, buy a linen belt. A linen belt. Not what we think of a belt, but they would wrap around themselves a few, a few times. Or you see, men wear what's called a gartel, and the Kohanim also wore a uh, belt like this. Sash. Yeah, yeah, sash. And God said, "Put it on your, put it on, and don't put it in water. Don't put it in water." So you hear me how it relates? I went. And I bought this uh, this sash, and according to Hashem, I put it on. And then God came to me a second time, and said, "Take the this belt that is that you're wearing, and go to Perat, and dig a hole in the ground, and bury it." <coughs> So, so I went and I hid it in Parat like God had told me. After many days went by and God came to him again and said, Go to Parat and dig up the belt. And he went and he dug it up and he saw that because the ground had been wet it's not clear how long it sat there, but let's say it rained. When he dug it up, the belt was completely unusable. It, it, it had like kind of shredded. And then God spoke to Yermiyahu and said, He said, just like this belt, which was perfectly good, and that you had put around yourself, and now is ruined so I will take the pride of Yehuda and it will, they will be ruined and he goes on to say because they, they haven't listened to me and they're a stubborn people and he said just like and then he, and then he revealed to him why a belt he said, because just like a belt fits around a person and clings to them, this is God speaking, so was my intention for my people to cling to me. But they have not listened and they have ruined the relationship. And so you could, we could put ourselves in Yermiyahu's, like shoes here going through this whole thing and if you remember what the Ramchal said 
He said like this, he said, in cases such as these, the act was used to stimulate the highest forces in a manner required by the nature of the particular prophetic concept. When this act was completed, the forces were ready and designated to translate this concept into action at the proper time. So what we get from this, even though it's, it's, it's not easy to understand, but what it's saying is that God is using Experience. the prophets or the, the uh, tzaddikim that there's something in their actions that are needed to draw down certain forces. See, it's the same question when God first came to Moshe at the burning bush and said, you know, I've chosen you to take my people out of Egypt. One of the things Moshe said is, what do you need me for? You could do, I mean, you could do it. Why do you need me? You're doing the miracles. Why do you need me hitting this and, and going through that? Like, it, it's all coming from you. However, we understand it, though, that God has set up the world, and in most cases, even when there are miracles, God follows a certain rules, spiritual rules and physical rules that He set up for the universe. And one of them is that God has, uh, man has to be a partner with God. So this very symbolic act of bearing this, this belt and it becomes ruined. And then he reveals to Yermia, he didn't reveal this to the whole people. For some, in some way, Yermiahu had to experience this to perhaps understand the depths of God's disappointment. Perhaps God could have said, I'm very disappointed with the people. And Yermiahu would have understood it on a certain level, right? But there's on another level the, the idea of experience, like you said, which is the secret of the mitzvah. Why don't we, you know, there's so many mitzvahs, theoretically we could say, why don't we just say something or think something? Why do we have to do something? It's because that, that's the teaching that God is giving us on a daily level. Is No, it depends on action in this world by real people. Even if we're talking about the highest spiritual forces, there still has to be something that is going to connect it to this reality. There's another example. Yeah. Right, okay, at the end of Yonah also, here's a beautiful example, is God is trying this whole book to teach Jonah certain lessons here, and then he makes this kikayon, uh, this uh, castor bean bush sprout, and Yonah is like in bliss. And then the sun comes and it withers up, and he's, he, it says he's, he's, he's ready to die. And God comes to him and, and says, like, I'm, teach, I'm trying to teach you something here. But right? you fell in love with this castor bean that lasted for 24 hours that you didn't even plant, you didn't do anything. And you became so attached to it. 
I shouldn't be attached to hundreds of thousands of people mm-hmm. in the city of Nineveh and not give them a chance to do Shuvah? So we assume at that point Yonah got the idea. But here also, God could have said to Yonah, here's the lesson. No, he shows him through action. He's giving him responsibility. And responsibility. It's not drastic. It means it's not just pass on the message, but he's giving them responsibility to, like the meth pass on the message. And because it changes the person to be doing something active. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. It has to do with what the, the prophet has to learn. Yeah. It's like the same thing as what every time we ask ourselves, why do we have to go through this? Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. it's like. You know, here's a good example. Um, when we when we pray for someone, there is there is a custom then to give little tzedakah in their name. So you say, why? Here we're praying for God to have mercy on someone. So, so spiritually, well, how well, how do we awaken those forces? We do an act of mercy. And we give even ten agarot tzedakah because the act, hopefully, will then draw down that chesed. So it's a, it's a perfect example. And we do this all the time, every day. We do it. It's, it's built into the mitzvah system. This idea that actions draw down energy. Right. Okay. So this last point, I think, is a very potent point. What we could meditate on this is the point we're leading with on how we can make our actions conduits to bring spiritual energy to ourselves the people around us and the world in general how we can connect our actions to their spiritual source and draw that energy into the world if we all knew how to do it this would be such a better world 